Uh, we're to dismiss Children's Church. That's ages four through first grade. Head off the north door with Mr. Wenzel here. But I don't know if you also noticed the worship team it was kind of composed of father and son groups, and uh, Naomi was the anomaly within that group. But uh, Logan Erickson being here uh, on leave, so good to have him here along with the, uh, Dave Alderman and, and his son. So I love to see that, and I pray that that legacy is passed on from one generation to another of declaring the excellencies of our Lord. So a few weeks back, our next generation pastor, Neil Johnson, got sick. And all of a sudden there was a gap before youth group. Who's going to fill? And he was like calling and calling and nobody was able to fill in. And I said, "Um, okay man, I'll fill in. I can do that. And I wanted to fill... Not just because there was a gap, but I wanted to feel because that group had been talking about a subject matter that's very important. And that is mercy. Who deserves mercy? What is mercy? And a passage came to mind that just resonates with me. And I said, I'm... I, I'd like to speak to our young people about that because I think it will you know, drive a stake into the reality of the gospel. And so today we're actually going to look at that passage. If you have your Bibles, you might want to crack them open to Luke chapter 7, and that's where we'll be today. But this episode in Jesus' ministry is just a beautiful illustration of the gospel and what Jesus came to do, how he came to seek and save that which was lost. And how some people were lost and didn't know that they were lost and that they needed to be found. But for just, you know, easy definitions today, let's let's define mercy as not receiving the penalty that you justly deserve. And grace, grace as receiving favor, kindness, goodness that you have not earned or deserve either. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let me pray for us, and then we will look at God's Word today. Father, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you sent your Son to seek and save the lost. And that is us, whether we know that or not. So come, come Lord Jesus through your Holy Spirit, and open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive what you have for us. That we might receive your goodness. And Lord, if, if we need to be corrected, if we need to repent, we would change that as well. But remind us, remind us of your amazing grace and your amazing mercy, which are both found in this passage. So Lord Jesus, it's in your precious name I pray these things. Amen. So let's start out. At verse 36 in chapter 7, if you have your Bibles. And we're going to read through verse 39. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus enters into an awkward situation. It's an awkward situation. First of all, Jesus' relationship with this group called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were kind of the self-appointed righteous people. If you remember the old uh, Saturday Night Live church lady skit, they were kind of along those lines. They were the ones that, you know, were trying to make sure everyone were dotting their I's, crossing their T's religiously. And if they didn't, if you didn't measure up, well, then you were a sinner. You were not truly part of God's uh, family. So this is curious that Jesus accepts this, this invitation because Jesus and the Pharisees aren't necessarily getting along. But Simon is curious because Simon really does want to, I think, want to follow what God is saying in his word. So it's an improbable invitation. And Jesus is willing to engage. He says, hey, we're, you know, we can have a good conversation. And at dinner, Jesus has some of his best conversations about the gospel, about the kingdom of God. And sometimes it got him in trouble. Sometimes it's a bit controversial. and This is no exception, as you've already seen. You see, Jesus comes in, and it's not a, it's not a full table like this, right? It's not that size. It's probably about as high as our, as our chairs here. And Jesus got down, and he probably leaned on a, on a pillow. He put his feet out as we're leaning at that table. And all of a sudden, this woman shows up. And everybody knows who she is. She's what we might call a woman of ill repute in today's language. She's immoral. She's somebody who's been done some sinful things, especially according to God's Word. And everybody knows it. Everybody in the town knows it. And people, most people, most good people, religious people, avoid her. Because they don't want to touch her even. To even touch her might cause you to become unclean. And suddenly she's at Jesus' feet, this, this radical rabbi, and she's weeping, wetting his feet with her tears, and then wiping them dry with her hair. And then it goes even more you know, over the top. She busts out this expensive bottle of perfume and pours it on his feet. And it's, no one knows what to do with this. It is awkward. It's uncomfortable. First of all, let's just say this, okay? Let's just talk about hygiene in the first century. You're walking around maybe in open-toed shoes at the very, at the very best, let alone 
barefoot. And the streets, there's no sanitation system. What gets on the street stays in the street most of the time. So that's kind of an unsanitary thing. And, and then just this woman, he does he really know her? What's going on? I mean, I, I would have a hard time with my wife doing this, let alone some, some woman I have no idea who she is. And then you've got just the audience, right? This guy's a Pharisee. My host is a Pharisee. Well, this is awkward. And Jesus knows what he's thinking. Because, I mean, first of all, first century, you know, taboo as far as relationship with men and women, even if you, even if you were with your wife, you don't have any kind of contact or display any kind of affection in public. It just you, it simply isn't done, if you will. So this is what's going on. And, and all of a sudden, Jesus was up here with Simon, and he's kind of losing points here. Like, if this guy were really a, a prophet, really a man of God, he would know what's going on here. He, he would know who this woman is. We, we do. But just how she's dressed. Can't he figure it out? Doesn't Jesus know? And the answer is yes. He does know. Yes, he does know. He knows that her sins are many, as he's going to say a little bit later in this passage in verse 47. He knows where she's been. He knows her past. But he also knows her heart. And he knows why she has come and what her intentions are. You see, somewhere along the line, she, who probably pictures herself as damaged goods, as somehow untouchable, first of all, to the religious, the good people, but let alone God. So like she's been trapped. And all of a sudden she hears this, this message that God has come to seek and save that which was lost. And she knows that she's lost. She knows that she's lost. But that somehow God is making a way for her to be restored and reconciled to Him. She has been ostracized, probably brutalized, name-called. And she knows. She knows what she's done. She knows that she's missed God's standard. She knows that she's sinful, and yet somehow God is making a way through this rabbi who is bringing good news. I don't know if you noticed the cover of the bulletin today, but it's quoting Isaiah, I believe, chapter 52. How lovely are the mountains, are the feet of him who brings good news, and that's what Jesus is doing. He is bringing good news to a person who thinks there is no good news for her. Again, <laughs> that's what's motivating her. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. But Simon, Simon, 
hey, he's been, he's been doing it right. He's been living clean. You know, he's been keeping the law. And in comparison, <laughs> I think he's even bothered that this woman is even in her house, his house. It just bothers him. And all he can see is this sinner, and all he can see is that this rabbi who he's investigating isn't condemning him, isn't condemning her. But here's the thing. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus arrives, he shatters the glass ceiling that makes people believe they somehow can earn their way into heaven. They can earn the righteousness of God by keeping the law. And this is what Simon thinks about himself. This is what he thinks about the Pharisees. Lots of commands about keeping the law, and that's what we're going to do. We've been living good, living clean. And others that don't, well, they're, they're just out of luck. They're out of luck. They're written off. You know, if, you're a, if you grew up in the church, it's easy for us who grew up in the church who kind of got used to going to youth group and doing all the right things to kind of have that attitude. I'm going to tell you about my own experience in youth group. And I, I've told this story a little bit before in, in a different way, but when I was in high school, there are a group of people called the stoners, okay? And we all know what the stoners did. They drank, they smoked weed before school, they smelled like it. Uh, they typically wore bell-bottom jeans, they had black, we call, call a black derby jacket, kind of a zip-up type of a thing, and, and big hiking boots. Everybody, I mean, they dressed like it, they knew, I mean, they kind of telegraphed their lifestyle and how they dressed and how they carried themselves. One day at school, I ran into this stoner named Bill. And Bill was goofing off, and he actually dropped his books or something like that. And I was a wise acre. And I think I said something like, uh, you know, smooth move, X lax or something of that nature, you know, kind of just being a, a wisecracker. And I walked away, thought I was <laughs> pretty funny. And he came to me and cornered me and says, if you ever say something to me like that again, I'm going to kick your... Now, it probably wasn't true, but let's just say this. Bill and I were not friends. And Bill was one of those people. The stoners. Me, I was a good church kid, right? I had my youth group. We hung out, ate lunch together. You know, I was a good kid. And much to my chagrin, three weeks later, he shows up at our youth group. What is Stoner Bill doing at youth group? I come to find out he had been hitchhiking, and one of our older youth group members picked him up. said, hey, why don't you come to youth group? Why don't you come and hear about Jesus? 
why don't you come and see how He can change your life? Because I can tell you're hurting. And as far as the rest of the story, I'll, I'll tell you very quickly. Bill's parents had recently divorced. His dad was telling him he would never measure up. Heart of the Father, right there. And Bill hated himself. Bill hated himself. And so he was just trying to medicate the pain through drinking, through pot. I think he said he got so bad one time, he was like sniffing Pam through a sock. Just anything to numb the pain. And then he came to youth group and he actually responded to what Jesus had to offer him. Forgiveness. Love. A, a different worth than that found what his earthly father said. And I'm not going to tell you it was instantaneous. It was, it was a long process. But God got a hold of Bill. And just to kind of get to the rest of the story real quickly, years later I was actually his best man at his wedding. So God redeemed that. But here's the, here's the thing. What I'm pointing to is my short-sightedness. I said, this kid doesn't belong at my youth group. Yes, he did. And I did not want to share the grace and mercy that I have experienced until I saw the life change in Bill. And God was changing me as a young man. Let's get back to our story with Jesus here. So, Jesus does know. He knows what Simon is thinking about him. He knows what's going on, and you're in my heart right here. And so he, he takes this as a teachable moment to tell an insightful story. Verse 40 through 43. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money in a certain, to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii. The other, 50. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave debts of both. The debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt, forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So to Simon's credit, he didn't write off Jesus completely. He was willing to hear this. And Jesus is pursuing Simon. He doesn't go kind of in the front door and say, Simon, you're a legalist. You're a hypocrite. He doesn't do that. He says, no, let, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a very familiar situation. Someone being devastated by debt. You know, to a money lender. One owed 500 denarii. And a denarii is, is a day's wage. So let's just say $15 an hour. That translates out to roughly, for 500 denarii, that translates out to about roughly $60,000. The other owes 50 denarii. 50 days wages. That translates roughly out to $6,000. Now, one doesn't owe nearly as much as the other, but they still owe it. 
and they still can't pay it. And in the first century, there is no bankruptcy law. You can't declare bankruptcy and then be shielded from your creditors. You've got to pay it somehow. And if you don't pay it, you end up in jail. Stuck there until you pay it. Or they may sell you into slavery to pay that debt. And if you're stuck there, you may have to wait till somebody else can come and re- redeem you, bail you out of jail for the debt. But you're stuck there. Can you imagine heading towards those consequences, knowing that's where you're going, and then all of a sudden the debtor, the, the one you owe says, I will forgive that debt. What a sense of relief. Like, oh, my life was just about to be devastated. And I'm forgiven. I'm released. So Jesus asked the question, hey, in my story, who do you think loved the money, the loaner more? And Simon says, well, the one who was forgiven the greater debt. Ding, 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 ding. You got it right. You've judged correctly. Simon, don't you see what I'm trying to illustrate here? You're actually one of the debtors in the story. Maybe you're not the 500 denarii, but you're the 50. You owe a debt to a holy God, and you can't pay it back. You are stuck. There's no way you're going to make up that gap between you and a holy God. And only He can pay it. Only He can pay it. And by the way, Jesus is is hinting, that's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here to do, to pay that debt. This is pre-crucifixion, but Jesus is pointing himself toward the the cross. And we who are post-cross, post-resurrection, do we realize that we are the debtor in that story as well? We are the debtors that owe God a debt and we cannot pay it back. We're stuck. We're heading towards consequences that are eternal. If God doesn't do something. And He does. He sends His Son. To live a life we can't live. To pay a debt we can't pay. To conquer a foe we can't conquer. And somehow in this woman's mind, she is realizing that I can't pay the debt, but God will pay the debt. And I am forever grateful. That's why she expresses herself the way she does. I don't know if you were here last week for Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge. If you weren't, you missed something fantastic. We'll do it again. We'll do it again, but you missed something fantastic. But you know what I appreciate about when, when I get to be with the Minnesota Adult Teen Challenge crew? Is they are unashamed about expressing their gratitude to Jesus for what He has done. I think we can take a lesson from them. I think we can learn a little bit from them in that regard. They are unashamed to express that. And you know, every time I have the privilege to go speak to them in a chapel, I get to do it 
about once every other month to the men and the women. I say, hey, I'm a pastor, and I need Jesus every day. Because I don't want them to think that somehow I have arrived. Somehow I've come to a place where I've got it all together and I don't need Jesus anymore. No, I need Him every day. I need Him to have His Holy Spirit living through me. And they need to know that. Because again, I think sometimes one of the, the cancers in the church is we get good at being good and we forget that we need Jesus desperately. Every day, every hour. Again, Jesus is saying, Simon, are you tracking? Are you tracking? Or are you still caught up in comparison? Her sin is worse than my sin. Are you still caught up there? I'm, are we still caught up with, I'm doing better than the next guy? The problem isn't the comparison, is not the next guy or the next gal. It's a holy God. And that's what Jesus is trying to get through to Simon. That's what Jesus is trying to get through to us. So you want to do some comparison? Let's do some comparison. Only this time, let's talk about love. Let's talk about love. Jesus gives an internal assessment about what's going on inside of Simon. Verse 44, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. So Simon, let's talk about how you received me when I came into the house, right? Kind of like an insurance salesman. Uh, you, you let me in. You, you provided a meal. But there was no sense of affection where, or even hospitality where you washed my feet from the, the dirty road and street. And yet this woman, who understands who I am, She's wet my feet with her very tears. Wiped my feet with her hair. Her very feminine glory. She's drying my feet with her hair. You gave me no kiss. And maybe that freaks you out. Men kissing men. I'll tell you, if you go overseas to Europe, it's going to be a different deal. But it's a sign of affection between men. Kiss on the cheek. You have no affection for me. She's not stopped kissing my feet since the moment she came in here. And you gave me no oil 
for my hair. Okay, what's that all about? Hair products, what's the deal? You have to understand, you know, hygiene is a little bit different. And that ointment would both keep the flies away and keep the stink down. And even Jesus stank. Do you know that? Jesus had body odor. It's true. He's just like you and me in that regard. That was apparently part of hospitality. And yet she takes this alabaster jar, which is kind of like marble. And this is probably the most expensive, most precious physical thing she owns. And it's got this ointment in it that's to be used on one occasion, either a wedding or a funeral. But it is her very best. And she breaks it open and puts it on Jesus' feet. She anointed his feet with her very best. Simon, I came to you, you kind of treated me like a ham sandwich. You weren't rude to me, but there's no receiving me with great passion and love. And do you know what I've come to do? Do you know what I've come to release you from? Do you know the freedom I've come to give you? Let's talk about love. If we're comparing, this woman has loved me, whereas you've kind of kept me at arm's distance. you kind of kept me at arm's distance. And, and by the way, you were looking to find fault with me along the way, weren't you? You were looking to see where I didn't measure up to your expectations. I'm going to ask you a question. And this is only a question you can answer in your own heart. Do you love Jesus much for what He has done for you? For the mercy, for the grace that He has extended in Himself to you or me? Do you love Him much? And how does that affect your heart? How does that affect how you live? What does it translate into? Or are we kind of like Simon? We kind of check Jesus out. And and maybe intellectually we get it all. We get it, but we want to keep him at an arm's distance. Because we don't want him to be too involved in our lives. I mean, I, I like, you know, the, the eternal life and all that kind of stuff, but, man, I, I kind of like doing my own thing. I kind of like not being accountable to Him. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Him much? And that's the question that Jesus is trying to put before Simon, even more so, he's trying to put before all of us who know how the rest of the story goes. We know what Jesus will do. 
This woman extravagantly pours herself out on Jesus. Jesus extravagantly pours Himself out on us. He is willing to go through horrible injustice. He is willing to be beat to a pulp. He is willing to be humiliated, probably naked. Probably naked on a cross. Dying an excruciating death. And spiritually becoming the lightning rod for God's wrath upon Himself. It comes down on Jesus. That's why He says, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Because at that moment, He is forsaken for Your sake and for My sake. Mercy. What should have been on me, should have been on you, goes on to Jesus as far as God's wrath. Grace. And those who put their faith in what Jesus has done receive His righteousness, receive His favor, receive sonship and daughtership. Because what He has done. Do you love Him? much do you understand what you've been saved from an eternity apart from him and then at the end (laughs) Jesus makes this authoritative statement then Jesus said to her your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And then Jesus doubles down. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine, first of all, what that woman must have felt? I am loved. I am accepted. I am say, I've, I've been in this place of destitution spiritually. I've been ostracized. I have been without hope. And now I have hope. Not just hopeful thinking. I have real hope. Because somehow this Savior has come to me and given me what I do not have in myself. On the other hand, what Jesus says is scandalous. Remember, you know, these people are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, but who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus, you are stepping in the role of God. He says, yeah, I know. Hint, wink, wink, wink. I'm implying something. Jesus is revealing Himself to Simon, to us. And here's the thing that Simon had to overcome. He had to get over his own self-righteousness. He had to get over his own, quote, goodness. And as do you and I. 
and comparing ourselves to others. I'm not as bad as. I'm doing better than. Again, the comparison is not on a horizontal level. It's on a vertical level. It's on a vertical level. On the other hand, and this, hey, this is a huge paradigm shift for these folks. And I think if we were there too, we would go through the process as well. But it's a new covenant. If you're here when we take communion, I always emphasize that it is a new covenant in Jesus' blood. A new covenant in what God has done. Making us know that we cannot meet God's standard, but God has met the standard for us in His Son. And it's a beautiful thing. In His perfect life, His innocent sacrifices triumph over death. We have nothing to contribute to our salvation, folks, except our sin. And then taking Him at His word. And even that is the grace of God. And it's humbling, isn't it? Because we want to hold up our resume. Yeah, but God, look what I got here. Hmm. No. Because my standard is perfection. And it's humbling. Here's the good news, folks, again. God's Word says at least three times, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You see, in the Gospel, it's going to offend your, your own self and sensibility. It's going to tell you you're worse than you ever thought. But in the Gospel, it also says you're more loved than you ever know. And that's why it's good news. That is why it's good news. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know how you're receiving this. I don't know if you've been living in the church for your, your life and, and you're tempted, tempted to compare on a horizontal level. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that girl. It doesn't matter. Because the standard is Jesus. It is the Holy God. But the good news is, He's come for you. He's come for me. Will you put your faith in Him? Have you put your faith in Him? And maybe there's somebody in here saying, Pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've messed up. You don't know how many people I've hurt. You don't know that I don't deserve God's mercy and grace. Two things. You're right. But Jesus does. And you are not beyond His mercy. You are not beyond His grace. Jesus is God before time, He's an infinite being, and His sacrifice is infinite for you. Will you receive it? You are not beyond His atonement. And He can come and change you. He can come and change you. If you knew me and all my inner workings, you'd kind of go, oh, why did God choose Nathan to be a pastor? It was His grace. 
It was His grace. And all I can do is tell you the grace that I have received and the grace He has for you. Will you receive it? Will you receive it? But here's the last question I have for you within all this. That's probably the main point. God has lavishly poured His Son out for you. He has given you mercy. And He has given you grace. Do you want that for others? Do you want that for a stoner bill in your life? Do you want that for your neighbor who gives you a a stink eye? Do you want that for your boss who's a jerk? Do you want that for... Vladimir Putin. Do you want that for your worst enemy? Because we all start out as offenders before God. And the question is, will we move towards His mercy? Will we move towards His grace? And are we so grateful for it that we can't help but want others to have that? Because eternity is too long and hell is too hot, folks. And who knows? Maybe God in His mercy and grace just might make your enemy your friend. And you might be celebrating at a wedding someday for that person. But that's what I want to share with you, especially as we head into Easter. That's why Jesus came. That's why He came for us. Isn't that awesome? Even if I did a poor job preaching this message, what a great passage, right? What a great passage. So, I'm going to pray and then the worship team, come please, close us. Lord Jesus, I am humbled by this passage. And uh, so much, I find myself like a Simon, Lord. But in truth, I am like that woman whose sins are many. Would you help me to see truthfully who I am before you, but also to rejoice greatly in the salvation that you offer. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of every man, every woman, for those who believe. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in this gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. Let us remember it is a righteousness from you. And it starts from faith and it ends with faith. For you say, the righteous will live by faith. Faith in what you have done, Lord Jesus. So Lord, draw someone to yourself today. And give us who already know you joy in our salvation. Help us to keep preaching the gospel and to keep preaching it to ourselves. So Lord Jesus, in your precious name, I pray these things. Amen.